Again, I want to welcome all of you that are here in the building, those of you that are in the parking lot, and then also those of you that are joining us online at home right now, or maybe even uh, sometime later in the day or later in the week. So glad that you are here. This is part seven of the series that I've called Dear Church. The premise behind the series is that in a world that is flipped upside down, what most of us hope for and long for is for God to send a message condemning and judging the world. But whenever you turn to the last book of our Bible, that's not really what you find. In some part it is, but for the most part, what it is is not a message for the world, but a message for the church. How do you live in the world as it is? So it's messed up, and and they have control, and everything is going wrong. Now, as a follower of Jesus, how do you live? In chapters 2 and 3, Jesus sends seven letters to these churches that are scattered around Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis. And this morning we're going to turn our attention to the church that is located in Philadelphia. During this time of year, I watch a lot of football. And uh, particularly being a, a Texas Longhorn fan, I do occasionally watch what is known as the Longhorn Network. And the Longhorn ne- Network, like most television, show, or television networks, they replay the same commercials repeatedly. I mean, it seems like you see the same two or three over and over and over again. And because the, the channel is owned and operated by the, 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 Texas, the Uni- University of Texas, they play a lot of uh, promotions about that university. And the university has adopted the slogan, what starts here changes the world. They actually trademarked that slogan back in 2005. But that slogan didn't originate with someone from the University of Texas. If you're paying attention to the message that Jesus is giving to the churches, in essence, that is the message that Jesus is giving to the church. That what starts in the church, that is what changes the world. It has been, become very acceptable to hate on the church of Jesus. To say things like, I, I like Jesus, but, but I can't stand the church But Jesus will not stand for that kind of talk. These letters, if we're paying attention, they elevate our expectation and appreciation for the church that Jesus built and that he died for. He expects that the church is going to change the world. But it doesn't always feel like that, does it? With that, we turn to the words... Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. To the church, or to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These are, are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. 
I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you since you have kept my command to endure patiently. I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole earth to test the inhabitants of the whole earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Historically, I prefer not to even talk about Christmas until after Thanksgiving, but after the kind of year that we have had, I'm going to make an exception for an illustration this morning. Growing up at my grandparents' house, they they still had the stockings from my dad and his siblings that they would put up above the fireplace every year. And one year, uh, my cousins noticed that that my dad's it didn't have his name on it. It it had in in all capital letters A R O G in this kind of glitter glue. And my dad tried convincing everyone that what that stood for is a really outstanding guy. That that's what he was known for. But in fact, the true story is not quite so noble. In fact, it it comes from. Uh, his high school days, whenever he was dating my mom, he had a, an old car that the, uh, the he, at least he claims, that the, the gas gauge was broken. And uh, being a, a poor high school student, he would only put a little bit of gas in at a time whenever he had some money. And so he frequently ran out of gas. And AROG stood for always runs out of gas. My mom's mother made that stocking for him. And I thought of that this week in relation to the church at Philadelphia as Jesus says, I know your deeds and how you have so little strength. Because I know that for many of us, it kind of feels like we're always running out of gas. That we look all around us and, and, and we, we just feel like everyone has so much more strength. And, and we hear something like that Jesus expects that the church is going to change the world and we just can't fathom how is that going to happen whenever I am so insignificant? How is that possible whenever as a church we are such a small number in the scope of the entire population of the world and, and then you, you go out in the scope of history, how are we going to do that? But Jesus writes to this little church in this insignificant city. It says, you may be little, but I know something that is more true. It says that a little church can make a difference 
in the world. And a little is enough when faithfulness is all that you are asked to do. You see, it is so easy for us to get trapped in this comparison game that we look at at these people in Scripture, Paul who wrote half of the New Testament, or Elijah, and he he stood on Mount Mount, uh, Carmel and took on 850 prophets by himself. Or someone like David, who challenged the giant and defeated him as a little boy. And then we know who we are. can't do that there is no way that that can be done through me but jesus says that i know all the things you do you have obeyed my command to persevere the only thing that is expected of any one of you is to be faithful the picture that you see up on the screen here in just a moment is of the Voyager 1. It's a, a, an American satellite that was launched out into space in 1977. It has been out there for 43 years. It is some 14 billion miles away from Earth right now. In order for a signal to be sent from Earth to the satellite or from the satellite back, it takes about 20 hours. It takes almost a full day for any signal to reach. And this satellite that was built in 1977, think back to the technology, those of you that were around then, the technology that existed in 1977, there, there is 69.93 kilobytes of memory on this. To put this in a little bit of context, most phones today are sold with uh, the starting base is about 64 gig, uh, gigabytes. That is 900,000 times more powerful what you hold in your hands than what is on this satellite. The memory that is put on this satellite is an 8-track. I don't even know what an 8-track is. Some of you are going to have to explain that to me a little bit later. And yet, we are still receiving images today that is taken from the satellite 43 years. It was built as something that, that by today's standards, it is very simple, but it just does what it was told to do. It has been faithful for 43 years. And I know that for some of you, you're at a stage of life where, where it is a good day if you don't yell at your kids for not picking up their clothes. For, for some of you, it is a good day when, whenever you, you just, you're able to, to love your spouse. For some of you, it, you're facing the, the challenge of, of physical limitations and physical pain and, and And there are no good days. And you look at yourself and say, I'm so small, I'm so powerless. But I want you to hear the words of Jesus this morning. I know your deeds. I know everything that you do. 
And Jesus tells this church at Philadelphia that he has set before them an opened door. That image had to have been powerful for John. Remember, he's one of the disciples that, that according to John chapter 20, he was one of those that, that on the Sunday following Jesus' crucifixion, he is behind a locked door because he is afraid of the elders. And it doesn't always look like the doors are opened. Consider the the time that the Israelites are about to enter into the promised land. They have to cross the Jordan. And and in Joshua chapter 3, verse 15, we're told that the, the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests... These aren't soldiers. These are are people that lead the the, the people in worship. As soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the, the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, just as God had told them to do, the water from upstream stopped flowing. Now imagine being there in that moment. Imagine being one of those priests and, and, and you're told to march into these waters that, that, that are raging and you're told that the door has been opened. And we're told that, that it's when their feet touch the water that the water stops flowing upstream, which means it continues to flow. All that water that was, is between upstream where it stopped and where those priests are, it continues to flow by them for how many seconds? Yet they saw that God had set before them an open door. What we see as little, Jesus sees and calls substantial. He said that whenever the, the, the poor woman put in just a, a few coins into the offering, he, he calls his disciples over and says that what she has given, it is of greater significance, of greater value than everyone else that has come in here today. Whenever the crowds were around and they, they began to, to, to grumble because they were hungry, the, the disciples say, Let, let's send them away. Jesus says, tell me, what do you have? And in Mark 14, they, they come to Jesus and say, what we have is very little. Jesus says, bring it to me. And he takes that and feeds the multitudes. Many of us, Live our lives tired, exhausted, weak. But it is because we, as Wayne Cordero says, we don't forget that we are Christians, we forget that we are human. And that one oversight alone can debilitate our future. So we expect that we should be somehow superhuman. That is not our call. We, we just simply have been given the mission to be faithful. Every single day, the only thing that is asked of you is to love God and love the people you come into contact with. And through those simple acts, you can change the world. Because it is in Him, Paul says, that we live and move and have our being. It is in Him. 
And because we live in Him, little is enough because it's built to last. Little is enough because it is built to last. The city of Philadelphia, I I said earlier that it's an insignificant city. That's not completely true. It was once a thriving city, but it was, it was built in an area that, that had frequent earthquakes. And the, the most recent, in A.D. 17, just completely demolished the city. They had uh, aftershocks for weeks, daily aftershocks for weeks after this earthquake. And because of that, the people no longer felt that it was safe to, to, to live in the city. Most of them lived out in, the, out in the country because the buildings, they were temporary. They could be shaken. They could fall. There are not many uh, temples existing in places of worship that exist in this, this ancient city of, of Philadelphia because it's not safe for these kinds of structures. But notice the contrast that Jesus draws between this experience and the promise to those who overcome. To the one who is victorious, verse 12, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. He goes on to say that that I will put the name of my city. See, after that earthquake in A.D. 17, the, the emperor Tiberius he, he gave uh, some funds to rebuild the city. And the city took on a new name, Neo-Caesar, or, or New Caesar, New City of Caesar. It reminds me of what took place in 2010 whenever the mayor of the, the city of Topeka formally uh, changed the name of the city temporarily to Google. And they even put up a sign, Google Kansas, because... Google at the time was, was running a program uh, where they were installing new internet service into a select few cities across America. And that, that internet promised to, to offer speeds 100 times faster. And so they did this as a publicity stunt to try and gain the attention of one who is in charge. That's what Philadelphia does. But Jesus offers this to everyone. Galatians 2 verse 9 tells us that that James and John and Peter, that they were considered pillars in the church. And we will even use that language today of someone who is is considered to be uh, influential. But notice it's not just influential. The, the most powerful. It's not the elite that, that are given this right to become something that lasts for eternity. It is anyone who remains faithful. It is those who overcome that receive this reward. The world has the mindset of the teacher in Ecclesiastes who says meaningless, meaningless, everything is utterly meaningless. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new 
under the sun. So don't bother getting your hopes up. But a little church is enough because Christ is risen. A little is enough because of who Jesus Christ is. In the first message of this series, I told you that that one of the, the important aspects to understand about these letters is who Jesus reveals himself to be. And Jesus says that I'll show you who holds the keys of David. That's a reference to Isaiah 22, uh, around verse, verse 22. When God is, is talking about the nation of Israel and how there's going to be this, this change of, of power. And he says that there's one who is the um, kind of secretary of state, if you will. His name was Shebna at the time. He's the, the second in control. He's the one that had negotiated with the Assyrians. And, and God says that, that he holds the keys of David, but I'm going to remove that from him. He's the one that opens the doors to the most powerful man in the nation. I'm going to remove that from him, and I'm going to give it to someone new. And Jesus says, I'm the one. I'm the one who holds those keys. That he's the one that that gives us access to God. That he is the one that that holds all of the power and the control. There's an old Irish legend of this sort of kind of demigod. It was probably one of those legends that was partially true and, and partially myth. Of this demigod that, that was a, a warrior. And all of the other nations feared this warrior. But in a battle, he was mortally wounded. And he asked his fellow soldiers to tie him up to a rock with his sword in his hand. Under the belief that whenever the enemies saw the sword, whenever they saw this man, they would cower in fear. And you see an artist's rendition of what this may have looked like. But that is, it pales in comparison to who Jesus is. The nation of, of Israel, uh, Moses and, and Miriam, they, they, they uh, respond to the deliverance of, of Israel out of, out of Egypt. And they say things like, In Exodus 15, verse 11, Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. In Revelation 1, verse 18, Jesus says, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death. Hades. Do you see who Jesus is? Preacher of generations ago, Harry Ironside was on a train when he was invited up to have a conversation with the engineer of the train. They began to talk about their respective churches and At the end of that conversation, Ironside summarized the differences by saying that the difference between my church and yours is your church, Jesus, 
is, is good. Jesus is, he is um, important in mine. He is sufficient. It is Jesus that makes up for our lack. No matter how little strength you may have, combined with Jesus, it's sufficient. It is the resurrection that changes all things. It is the resurrection that that bolsters our faith. It is the resurrection that we put our hope in. I know that as we started our service, we talked about some of the grief that that is just being experienced in, in this church. And it weakens us. Hold on to the one who holds the keys. We're going to sing about the the resurrection. It's not a song that we, we traditionally sing as an invitation song, but, but it is a song about Jesus. And because He lives, we can face anything. Because he, he came out of the grave, that changes the world, and we now have the power to change the world as well. If you'd like to respond to the message this morning, our elders will be at the back of the worship center. I'll be at the front. If you'd like to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, we would love to do that uh, for you this morning. We invite you to come as we stand and sing together.